Venceremos. Venceremos. Il cadena sabra che romper. As this western year closes down, there remains a laundry list of items I've yet to speak about, and I wanted to do a bit of rounding up along this loose thread and that. In our collection of sundries here, you can look forward to some local government updates, glimpses into labor history, at-home direct action, and my responses to a few points both reasonable and deranged. We'll punctuate our visit with music from Birmingham, New Orleans, and Philadelphia throughout. To bring us into the proper atomic disarray we require, I'd like to call attention to one Ziana Eros of Portland, mistress of interior bioacoustic engineering and microtonal angel adrift. I found her work through her illuminating series on the transfemale voice on YouTube, which led me to her August release, Witchcraft, a 37-tone near-equal just intonation piece, which sits at the climax of her upcoming fifth LP by the same name. What you'll hear is the middle section of that three-part piece. The concept and story of the work is truly wild and inspiring, and I'm glad to have her blessing to share it with you as our invocation for this evening. Links to her work on Bandcamp and YouTube are available, as always, in the description of this podcast at theearthhotel.org. Dear sister, take us to our bodies of sound.
Before we get into the depths, a friendly notification that our guest last week, John Albee of Arabata, has an album out now, Elephant Race, and I just wanted to confirm that, yes, one-sided 12-inch vinyls of that record are available from Earth Libraries in a limited run of 50. So if you enjoyed that conversation and the music connected therein, or will in the future, consider picking that up. I think that's super cool. Back to you, future Jackie. This Inside News report is brought to you by the spanked ass of former Flomaton, Alabama police officer Scott Walden, who has joined another line of gritting idiots in law enforcement who have lost their jobs for saying the quiet part out loud. For example, to quote the Facebook comment that got him canned regarding Biden voters, quote, They need to line Ev1, that's numeral one, they need to line up Ev1 of them and put a bullet in their brain for treason. The Earth Hotel cordially wishes him all the best at whatever police department in the South is more corrupt than Flomaton, who will be glad to have him, as there are no laws in place which would, say, designate a registry for dangerous individuals who have worked for law enforcement while active members of seditious militia groups or white supremacist organizations, for example. Es lebe de Freiheit, Schweine. In that same vein... The advance toward profit-driven authoritarianism in Birmingham surges ever forward, with the approval by the city council of the city's renewal of a predictive policing system, appropriately named PredPol. The system takes the form of an algorithm which provides police departments with printouts of jurisdiction maps indicating when crime is predicted to happen throughout the day. This process has led PredPol to be referred to as a crime production algorithm, as officers expecting to see more crime in poverty-stricken areas will inevitably find it in the hotspots identified by the data. On the face of it, predictive policing systems may seem at once dystopian, technocratic, ineffectual, biased, and harmful. But a look further into the 10-year history of the program reveals that many cities, like the flagship LAPD, have dropped the system due to its expense, being able to cite no market improvement in crime statistics or police efficacy. The Smithsonian Institute, yeah, that one, remarked in 2018 that no independent public research had ever confirmed PredPol's claims of the accuracy of its software, and that remains an extensively accurate assessment in 2020. Activists have worked for a decade in Los Angeles to fight PredPol in their police departments. Well, not their police departments. California Inspector General Mark Smith authored a 52-page review of the LAPD's use of PredPol, which showed that officers used inconsistent criteria to identify and designate people as chronic offenders. The program assigns a point rating to individuals based on prior histories, arrest records, affiliation, probation, and parole status, etc. Smith found that 44% of identified chronic offenders had either one or zero arrests for violent crimes, and that 50% had no arrests for gun-related crimes. The database included people who had been arrested for nonviolent crimes. Some points were not entered or appeared to be over or understated. More than 100 people had no points at all and still appeared on the chronic offender list for their area based on referrals from detectives or patrol officers. In a city with an African-American population of 9%, Latinos and African-Americans made up 84% of chronic offenders out of 233. A peer-reviewed study from the highly respected scientific journal Nature showed that predictive policing can lead to an increase in crime for cities using it. Well, if they did more tests, then they'd find more cases, I guess. After the city of Santa Cruz optioned the program for their police department, the SCPD refused to use it without explicit permission from the city council on a case-by-case -case basis. 
for fear that they might have to bear the responsibility of improperly using a racially biased policing software. They ceased use of PredPol in 2017 and outright banned the software in 2020, following a trend consistent with the rest of the country. On December 8th, the Birmingham City Council passed a three-year contract with PredPol for $179,000. This is a revision of an existing agreement from last year, when Chief Patrick Smith was hired by BPD, direct from Los Angeles, bringing the software with him. Residents and activists requested that the Birmingham City Council hold a public meeting on PredPol, but the City Council characteristically was not interested in that, and did not schedule a public hearing. It is clear by this point that the city council and the mayor are insistent on just running their particular playbook, and what the public thinks or knows or gets to know be damned. This is fundamentally not a democratic situation. These grifters are running rampant through our city hall at the behest of no one. Whether it be predictive policing, participatory budgeting, poverty alleviation policy, pandemic relief, public works, etc., etc., no matter what evidence or reason is brought to these autocrats to show that their proposals will at best not work and at worst hurt the population directly, they refuse to take the time or levy the consideration necessary to do their jobs as representatives of the people. The people of Birmingham and everywhere deserve a representational system that makes decisions on their behalf, not in spite of them and hidden under the cover of bureaucracy. Our city is being sold out from around our buried heads, and these cretins like Randall Woodfin stand up with a smirk and pat their own proud asses for the job they're doing on behalf of the community. If your only exposure to the mayor is via his social media account, you are actively being misinformed as to the nature of this administration. But that will change. There's plenty of time between now and November 2021, Randall. Plenty of time for that ass to wave in the breeze. For every scandal to be laid bare. They will know you by the stink of your greed, Mr. Mayor. It will fill the city on the winds of the spring, and they will know the depth of your corruption. Adroit listeners may recall our conversation with People's Budget Birmingham, the heroic watchdog group which laid out the case for the manipulation of Birmingham's budget to make an awful lot of scratch for wealthy investment firms and Birmingham power interests. December 7th, the news broke that 132 employees furloughed by the city were set to return to work. And on the surface to the uninformed, this may have seemed like a glimmer of hope. Not so. Simply the light of day to expose the sleeping rot of lies. These city employees were furloughed so that the credit rating of the city may be artificially inflated for both the capital and construction interests in Birmingham, the ability for the mayor to commission budgets for projects that may benefit his masters at Alabama Power and Raymond James, and to increase his own social cachet. If one thing is obvious about Randall Woodfin, it's that he cares first and foremost about his image, deeply cares, exponentially more so than the well-being of the underclass of citizens he desperately tries to distance himself from as he cuts them out of the proceedings of the city. As was stated in our People's Budget conversation, the cuts made to the 2021 budget were stated by Woodfin to be due to a revenue shortfall that financial releases from the city now show to have been fictitious, or at least overstated. It's still a talking point that the city is suffering economically due to COVID, which is true almost a year into things. But going into spring, as Woodfin was expected to be wrapping up his budget formulation to be delivered in June, the city was shown to have a surplus of $16 million that Woodfin demanded that the city council and board spend immediately, while knowing that a lockdown and economic fallout from the pandemic was imminent. Why? Because the excuse of a pandemic economy would have to be eventually useful for manipulating the budget when it was finally delivered, 
not in June, but in October, because the mayor needed more time under that very rationale. So the city is portrayed to be in the midst of economic pressure, so budget cuts appear reasonable, the furloughing of city employees will appear reasonable, austerity measures, etc., etc., the cutting of the remaining $50,000 from social services that was left after Woodfin's tenure thus far. It's decreased every year since he came into office. The budgets he promised the libraries and the city council, the city staff, all got walked back as he played them on the pressure he had put them under, eventually petulantly demanding that they accept his authority, that they will not get a dollar more than he had decided they get. By hiding behind a manufactured line item in his budget, the Wages and Salaries Initiative, Woodfin was able to manipulate the staffing authority of city boards, illegally furloughing hundreds of library workers and other city employees, employees whose benefits and health insurance have since expired, whose paid holidays, nine out of twelve in the year, were cut because of the revenue shortfall which Woodfin misrepresented. The city council recently announced that the furloughed library employees will return to work, which reads on its face like a good thing, until you look at how it actually works. Firstly, not all of the employees who are furloughed are returning. Some of them, due to being cut off from their income unexpectedly, were offered a buyout option against their pension funds and benefits. They could take a buyout to make ends meet, which consists of the money already in their pension funds. Taking this buyout meant that they would be ending their employment with the city, that their pensions could no longer be drawn, and that their benefits would end immediately in the midst of the pandemic. 158 library employees were furloughed, and 132 are now returning to work. What has happened to the rest of them? Common Sense says, The money the city saved from those people's salaries, the 10% that each department head had to give up from their salaries, it couldn't possibly have been enough to make up for the multi-million dollar shortfall the mayor had claimed, right? Absolutely correct. But that wasn't his aim. Raymond James, the investment firm which has been fined in the last decade for fraud, which underwrote and profited from the stadium construction which Woodfin ran on opposing and then rushed through upon taking office, that Raymond James offers a description of their financial advisory service on their website concerning cities who are seeking to refinance their bonds, as Birmingham did in October when their credit rating was revised. Oversimplified, bonds are how cities hold wealth, bonds mean construction and development, mean political cachet for mayors and city establishment, etc. So a favorable credit rating means good things for people in power and money for the firms doing the refinancing, such as Raymond James, who make a hot little commission. Raymond James has been factually employed by Birmingham. Their solution to cities with underpaid pension funds is to offer such a buyout as I described in order to boost the funding of pensions though they caution that this is playing with people's lives and it doesn't work out in the long run. What this means is that by squeezing these city workers in this manufactured financial crisis into a pressure situation where cashing out their retirement was the only way for them to survive, the mayor was able to directly warp the city's credit rating to appear better, thus profiting himself and Raymond James, Porter White & Company, and other firms connected to this process, many of whom have connections to Birmingham Power Establishment, down to having family members of former mayors in their highest ranks. Wealthy power interests, who by eyewitness testimony were literally clapping and cheering down the hall from the city council when this budget was being approved. They just couldn't help themselves. Mean fucking while, Woodfin's budget gave an extra $11 million to police for equipment and munitions and pay raises. And while I say $11 million, that's that on paper. I mean more than that. Because due to further sneaky financial shell gaming, much of the previous allocated police budget was moved around to other line items. So it's just raining funding over at BPD. 
Throw a few million in for predictive policing and surveillance systems. Why not? After all, it's like you said, Randall. We don't have a crime problem. We have a poverty problem. And, admit it or not, there's an age-old technique for dealing with all those troublesome poor people. And it wears a badge on its chest and a club on its belt. And that's to say nothing of the multitudinous poverty alleviation programs proposed to you by your own transition team, which you promptly ignored when you came into power. So, end of the day, some of those city employees were returned to work, but not all, and not because the money was in fact available all along. Instead, Freewheel and Randy proposed taking $7 million out of the $9 million expected to be received by the city for pandemic relief to bring back those employees who, I must repeat, were not fired to save money, but were fired for the purpose of manipulating the city's credit rating. This shows how diabolical and stupid his plan was, because city councilors are now concerned that the $7 million reallocation would lower operating reserves beyond the city's standard, which incidentally will threaten Birmingham's credit rating in the future. But fuck it. It's just the future. We made our money. Fuck you, every worm for themselves. And by the way, he's not taking that $7 million out of money that's actually been received from the Federal CARES Act. He's counting on that money to come in to make up the difference from borrowing out of the city reserves. Responsible shit, no? You wouldn't put the shit kicker in charge of a kid's lemonade stand, but he went to Morehouse, so eh. Not much was made of the fact that $7 million is now not going to pandemic aid in a city whose businesses are closing forever and whose homeless are routinely freezing in the streets where homes are being foreclosed on and people evicted to die right along with them. That's right. An unhoused woman died in the last month in Birmingham, steps away from a warming station, a block from City Hall. She froze to death in the night on her birthday. Not that any other time is better to freeze to death. And none of your millions of dollars in police budgeting managed to get one of them in that area less than a mile from BPD to help her into the temporary shelter you've deigned to designate for below-freezing temperatures. So she froze in the street. As far as I'm concerned, that is a fucking murder. And every one of the wealthy arbiters of fate in the city is responsible for her and for every starving, freezing, and economically besieged person in the city that can be helped if not for your outright greed. Randall, you could have revolutionized the way the city runs. You could have made reform writ large and changed lives and set an example. But that was never your goal, was it? Just your empty promises. Seven million dollars to pitifully cover up your own hack job, Randall. Your own shortfall. Pathetic and underhanded and evil. But as long as no one calls you on it, you can just delete those Facebook comments anyway. What's the big deal? You got yours, and you're cozy warm, aren't you? The people you promised you were fighting for are still buying your propaganda. I see it on Facebook. So who cares about the people and their future you're toying with? <laughs> but you fucked up big, in one way that is squarely in my wheelhouse. You started a podcast. Your very own propaganda network. You're welcome on this show any time to discuss these things, Randall. Since in every available medium you've chosen to run your chicken shit self away from this information. I can't be intimidated and I can't be shaken because I have nothing. 
But you... You're teetering on a mighty high pile of shit, Alcade. And there's an election coming up this year, isn't there? I know a lot of people who'd be interested in making some interesting signs. Hijo de puta. <laughs> Come on my podcast. <laughs> you coward. <sighs> As many of you know, our neighbors in Georgia also have a chance to choose between establishment wealth and honest reform in the monumentally important Senate runoff on December 5th. Georgia listeners, early voting is now open, if I'm correct. Get in there. Both Republican candidates, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, are cartoonishly evil figures and profited immensely from trading on vaccine and healthcare stocks upon finding out about the looming pandemic before the public knew anything. In fact, that's how Loeffler made her half a billion dollar fortune, making her one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest state legislator in the country. More blood money. Rout these fuckers. I watched the Leffler-Warnock debate, and all she had to say for herself was that Reverend Warnock was a radical liberal. Anytime a Democratic representative starts labeling anyone in their opposition as dangerous radicals, no matter how reasonable, it's time to get the fascist fighting boots and cat girl ears out of storage. Because bad things are on the horizon. But I'm not kidding anyone. As a radical liberal myself... I keep them by the bed ready to go. Yes, these armed freaks and evangelical slugs have nowhere to go but down the maw of fascist rabbit holes, as they have only their deranged followers and conspiracy theories to cling to now that the Electoral College has formally decided the presidency. Not that decrepit phalluses like Alabama State Representative Mo Brooks didn't try to make their stink known, thanks for that, Huntsville, this stultifying bonehead and hometown embarrassment made national news when he vowed to challenge the Electoral College in line with the president's endlessly bullshit claims of voter manipulation, a move that I must remind you is by definition anti-democratic and dangerous and absolutely not a normal thing that ever should happen. Quote, I'm doing this because in my judgment, this is the worst election theft in the history of the United States. And if there was a way to determine the Electoral College outcome using only lawful votes cast by eligible American citizens, then Donald Trump won the Electoral College. Fat lot of good that did you there, Morris. You suck, son. Go home. Not one of your compatriots stood up next to you on this, Mo. Not even the president gave you a wet sloppy one on Twitter for parroting his psychotic messaging on this stinking ship. The GOP is doomed, yes, and incredibly incompetent and cartoonishly evil, but we have to stay vigilant and aggressive to forestall whatever nightmarishly competent fascist they drum up in their wake for 2024, because they will. Just a reminder that no one deserves more ire and rancor than these irredeemable fools who have sought to further tear away power from the people for political cachet. Huntsville, can we vote this sucker out, please? Fuck these scum. Fuck you, Mo. It may seem to some that I have a PhD in problems and not solutions here. So I want to offer up a brief clip of someone who seems to have some good strategic advice for the left. This is socialist YouTuber Vosh on how to approach the next four years. I think it bears propagating. The fundamental belief that liberals have is that the world should be a just place. The issue is how they attempt to achieve that belief. So here's what we got to be doing, okay? 
we have to appeal to their positive sensibilities while criticizing their leaders, okay? Why do I dislike Biden? Not for some high horse socialist, he's a member of the bourgeois cabinet position. No, because, hey, Biden, we elected you, and you sure have not been taking much advantage of blue Congress, have you? Blue Senate, blue House. And what are we getting? Couple policies out? You could revolutionize this country if you wanted to. You're missing a couple of items on your set of uh, proposed policies. That's interesting. Why are you not doing that? What's keeping you from doing that? Oh, oh, hold on. Wait, how much money did that gas company lobby? Uh, how, how much money did they spend lobbying on, on you and on the? Oh, okay, that's interesting. All right. Hey, liberal. Look, I'm glad Biden won. I really am. But um, it, that, isn't this a little disappointing? We aren't really doing anything to fix the problems in this country, are you? What about that Bernie guy? Oh, Bernie? Oh, yeah, no, Bernie. I mean, he was pretty old, you know, old white guy, whatever. But, like, the entire DNC platform changed because of Bernie Sanders. Maybe his ideas were attractive. Maybe they were trying to, you know, appeal to some of the base that he was trying to appeal to. You remember? Remember Bernie? This is a crazy guy, Bernie. You want to guide these liberals over. Every time Biden or the DNC does something disappointing, you want to milk it like crazy with them. You want to you be like, hey, that was really fucked up that they did or didn't do that. And any time they do something good, you should applaud it. This is a big mistake that lefties do. Because they never applaud good things the DNC does, they don't provide their liberal audience or compatriots a framework to understand what is or isn't good. If all you're doing is criticizing, it doesn't feel like you're proposing like a positive direction, you know? Hit people hard on the healthcare question when inevitably the public option, if we even get a public option, ends up being riddled with all of the high-risk cases and it doesn't do anything to meaningfully change the system and it ends up being prohibitively expensive and it ends up being a drain on the government because they're not doing anything to meaningfully challenge the power of the insurance companies, you need to hit on that. When we're talking about private prisons, hit on that. Border camps, ICE, hit on that. DHS, hit on that. You need to be constantly, incessantly challenging the DNC for not holding themselves to the standard liberals like to believe they live to. And that is the, that is the next four years I want to spend. I want to spend it ruthlessly making fun of the Democrats in a way that maximizes the positive optics with liberals. Never forget, as we celebrate AOC and Bernie Sanders, the vast majority of their supporters were liberals. Do you think that Bernie Sanders came close to Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election because of lefty votes? It was liberals. Do you think Bernie Sanders would have done well if all he had done was shit-talk the DNC? Do you think AOC would do well if all she did was shit-talk the DNC? It is the tactical balance between criticism and praise, between working with liberals and criticizing liberalism, that gives them their power. And we need that. There was a phrase Michael Brooks uh, was fond of. I believe, if I'm misremembering, it was be kind to individuals and be ruthless to systems. And it is such a fundamentally Marxist perspective. I can't believe more lefties don't believe in it. Individual human beings are weak and impressionable and generally a product of their environment. And I, me too, totally, 100%. Systems are the product of a massive amount of powerful, influential, directed control that are designed to reinforce certain systems of power. 
The systems are what we need to be focused on. So chill with the liberal hate, chill with the constant, relentless, aggressive derision of people who aren't as far left as you, and follow in the footsteps of some of the most effective political agents in the history of this country. Follow in the footsteps of people like Bernie Sanders, who have been more successful than any internet podcaster at moving people over to the left. You have to give people an image of the future they want to live in. As long as they think that a better world is inexorably tied to the legacies of habitually pessimistic, always online dipshits and or long dead autocrats, they're not going to move left. The future of leftism in the United States is not rampant cynicism. It is people like AOC who know when to hide their power level, who push hard when they can, and when they can't, they know when not to fudge all their political power. The future of leftism in this country is not a fucking revolution that we know is not going to fucking happen right now. Don't be delusional. The future of leftism is building a power base in this country large enough that we are going to be capable of revolutionary action. The future of leftism in this country is not being a victim to a divide-and-conquer strategy, allowing the Republicans to play off of progressives and liberals so they can retain power because they play off of your cynicism and your apathy and your neglect. No. The future of leftism is Zoomers. It is optimism. It is engagement. It is political efficacy. It is pragmatism. It is coalition building. It is the rejection of purity politics. It is knowing that revolutions take place only under the proper material conditions, and the material conditions we live in right now are not sufficient. We do not live in a revolutionary era for socialists. We live in a revolutionary era for fascists. This is their time, but we will steal it from them. They hold the fire, and we will quiet it in our hands. We will dampen it with our piss. We will piss all over them. And then we'll get our own torch. It's about time for some music, no? What you'll hear next is a track that has been sitting in a to-do file for a too long time. And upon recovering it, I found that this might have been the perfect time for it. In a broad, general sense, and in this episode in particular. So there you go. The album is The Complaint, from Philadelphia's Tadzio on Blight Records, featuring several members of the Washington, D.C. band Luna Honey, who released one of the most heartbreaking records that I've heard, Peace Will Grind You Down, in 2018. I have a long, not-quite-lost interview from them buried in a malfunctioning laptop in my basement, and I hope to salvage that and get that episode out in the new year, because it was a great conversation and a brilliant record. Both Tadzio and Luna Honey have several releases in the elapsed from that time that I wish to return to in a double feature in the second half of year 75. Tadzio is a multi-armed experimental outfit of highly competent and daring people that just hits all of my buttons. It seems that by chance, everything that I found in Birmingham recently and through the social web, the music that you've heard recently on the show, has hit me in many unfamiliar and thrilling places. I'm amazed. It's like it's been made for me to play. The variety and consistent quality displayed by Friends of the Road and in this area is breathtaking. And I'm glad to be able to share it with you ears gathered here. And thus, my faithful, is the track from Tadzio, True Believers Always Wear a Smile. Salut.
this holiday season, lest you forget your brothers and sisters that live in Bessemer, Alabama, and work for the Bezos machine, are currently fighting to unionize themselves, so they may bargain for democratic control of their workplace and some say in their working lives. This is a fight because the face of capital looms godly and wrathful down upon this idea, and will promptly crush those who dare to even speak it in their midst. This is an effort against the House, against terrifying odds and outcomes. This has made national news for how rare it is, because the professional lifespan of a prospective organizer on an Amazon floor is insectoid. Remember that when your money makes it to Amazon, your time paid out to you for pennies on the dollar by an owner is profit to be maximized into an expenditure for union busters. Now what do they do? Ultimately, their skills are intimidation, manipulation, coercion, and violence. The foot soldiers for the oligarchy did not go away when they were done gunning down miners. They became private detectives and later security forces. Corporate mercenaries all the same. Rest assured that if this effort in Bessemer continues, eventually the soldiers will show up, and the blood that will need pavement will be unseen by your local news coverage. As indirectly as you might imagine it to be, those bullets will be noted on expense reports and billed to Amazon as supplies. Buy directly from the vendors you're shopping with this holiday season. Their websites are listed on the Amazon page that you're finding their product on. Cut Amazon out of the process, even if it's just so you can do your shopping guilt-free. While 250 million unionized workers in India took to the streets, one Amazon warehouse out of thousands in our backyard, so to speak, put into action their fight, their fight to throw off the restrictive aspects of their employment with Amazon, which, and not who, I remind you, pay literally nothing in taxes to support the people, to stand up boldly and to join the National Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union, which exists, which also politely declined to comment at this time as things shake out. I am seeking audience with any of these organizers in Bessemer. If you have a point of contact, I would be very grateful to hear from you at theearthhotel at gmail.com. Solidarity forever. Happy holidays. Two items on the agenda got dropped here, because after I wrote the script for these other segments, I realized that I had neither the time nor the space to include these large topics and that I wanted to do full-length features on both of them in the future. So here's your placeholder for some soon-to-be-dedicated time on revolutionary figure and freedom fighter martyred by the FBI 41 years ago this December 6th, Fred Hampton. I had no awareness of him until early this year, and I'm still learning his story and commentary. So I'd like to return next year to do a more educated feature on his work, because I'm not a biographer or a political theorist. But it bears mention in this part of the show seeing as he was a socialist fighter first and a Black Panther second, insisting that the commonality of class interests was greater than the division of the racism so heavily invested in by capitalism. And I say this not to diminish his work as a Black Panther, but to emphasize that not only do these misled saps in Appalachia have more in common with the black sharecropper than Donnie J. Trump, but also that you folks who waved a BLM flag for 15 minutes in May and then disappeared might want to look northward to Bessemer and take your fight to where it will work. Hoover PD may not care about what you have to say, but Amazon is seeking more inroads in Alabama, 
and getting mighty embarrassed on the national stage by us right now. And this unionization fight is taking place in a critical commercial season. Crowdfunded bail money for protesters, that's $500 bail per arrest for 200 arrests and Hoover protests, could go to sustain striking workers for a while, or curate advertising action in favor of Amazon unionizers, or about a dozen other direct actions with some legs, instead of straight into the coffers of a white supremacist police department. And reading how I've written this, it sounds like I'm prioritizing, say, Amazon unionization over Black Lives Matter, and I'm not equating or relating those two issues. I'm saying that in cases where there are movements that can be helped by money and attention, really anywhere is better to throw money than Hoover PD is really what I'm saying. And doing independent advertising in favor of Amazon unionizers is just the most reachable, relevant way to comment on that and to give an example of creative ways to use money. Crowdfunded money off of People my age, liberals my age, wait staff, artists, people who don't have a lot of money to throw around in the first place. I'm a little punchy, obviously. I'll leave things at that. I honestly didn't intend for this segment to end up here, but I'll just roll with it. Here's Fred Hampton on ABC discussing his disagreements with the Weather Underground, the Weathermen, and the SDS, the Students for a Democratic Society. I found this a couple of days ago doing some research, and it just seemed too prevalent. We stand way back from the SDS and the weatherman because we believe that the weatherman action, there's two actions. There's REM2 and weatherman. We think they, they call them both national action. We think that REM2 is national action, weatherman is national reaction, you know. We think it is anarchistic, opportunistic, individualistic, it's chauvinistic, it's uh, uh, customistic, and that's the bad part about it. It's customistic in that it's leaders take people into situations where the people can be massacred, and they call that revolution. And it's nothing but child's play, it's folly, and it's criminal because people can be hurt. We say that they're doing exactly what the pigs want them to do. When they take people down and, and just do nothing, play around, and the pigs are prepared for this, and they'll wipe all of those young people out. We think these people may be sincere, but they're misguided their muddle heads and their scatterbrains. The only way we can show them is to criticize them like we're doing right now and then leave from here and go to the federal building and have a demonstration that's to educate, a demonstration that it is uh, disciplined and organized. You know, and That's what we're going to have to do and let them see the examples. It's an astronomical situation, too great for the people to deal with. It's a situation where you've got a bunch of mechanical pigs with 357 magnums and shotguns and mechanical mace and all that type of thing, and then they're talking about they're going to carry on a revolutionary struggle, that's not revolution, it's insanity, it's, it's a madness, it's nostalgia, and it's a massacre, that's what it's, potential massacre, that's what it is. And we don't support that, because we've said all power to the people. All the power is manifested in the people, we don't have any people whose lives we believe that should be thrown away. That they believe that these white workers need to learn how to struggle through confrontations. I have to say that basically I believe that this is incorrect. I believe that white workers have been struggling. They're some of the most violent people in the world. I believe that what they need is they need a redirection in their ideology and in their politics. They need to know who to struggle against. The workers need to start to begin to learn that their job is to struggle against the bosses. And until they do this, then struggle is incorrect. It's like no struggle at all. We say that if you don't struggle correctly, you shouldn't struggle. But you should struggle. We said dad are struggling, you dad to win, dare not to struggle, and you don't deserve to win, but we have to struggle properly. The Black Panther Party intends to support anything that is disciplined, anything that does not provoke violence on the part of the pig power structure, because this is what they want to do. They want to kill some people. And these leaders are nothing but leaders who have customistic tendencies. They will lead people into slaughters, and we think that that's uh, it's criminal to the people. It's a crime against the people. Apply that as you will. 
The other item that got dropped off the bill was a feature on the West Virginia Coal Wars. Yes, literal wars with machine guns and bombs and everything fought on American soil between striking coal workers and the United States oligarchy, utilizing both private mercenaries and U.S. troops. Private mercenaries like the Pinkertons, who are still around as a security agency. It came up in conversation with a friend, and my summary was a little bit incomplete, and in looking back on the full story, I felt like it needed a couple of hours dedicated to it. I'm not a historian or a nonfiction writer, but I want to give this labor war a Dan Carlin hardcore history treatment and really do it right. Because history class sure as hell didn't. And I haven't found a play-by-play audio retelling of the events involved. So there you go. Another promise that will hopefully be fulfilled sometime in 2021 in a future Earth Hotel Solidarity episode. Let's go back to music while I cool my Jackie heels for a minute.
That was T by Birmingham Outfit, Love More. That's more M-O-O-R. I found them through the remarkable video for the song that you can find in the description down below. It comes from their album out now called Motions, which I highly recommend. I think they were on the City and the Sound podcast, which is another great Birmingham music podcast you can check out. I found them recently. I'm not sure if it is. The link will be down in the doobly-doo. And nothing brings joy into our hearts like fresh new faces for the family. Our partners in sound making are Substrate Radio, and we'll tip you off to their schedule right now. They run music programming 24-7 with a spread of specialty shows like yours truly. Monday is the Jackie Lowe Show, the wizardess of mix herself. Psychic Tuesdays predict your music past into the future via host Paul Wilm. And we join you this Wednesdays and all Wednesdays for your surreal bending, all three shows 8 to 10 p.m. Friday, we hear the classic hip-hop show from the venerable DJ Supreme, 7 to 9 p.m. Saturday mornings, re-rest with Sleep in Cinema, 9 to 10 a.m. And start your Sunday with Wake Up, Boo, 10 o'clock to noon, and Pastime Paradise carrying you into the scalding afternoon from 12.30 to 1.45. You can find all this information and more at substrateradio.com from whence they stream the sound. Dankeschön. As you just heard, this music block and all the episodes that have come through in year 75 are very much thanks to the help of Substrate Radio in Birmingham. Swayze of Pastime Paradise, every Sunday at 12.30 Central Standard Time, was actually a producer on the Motions record, if I'm correct. That was some pleasant intersection to find. The next piece we're going to highlight comes courtesy of Craig Saravolo of the program Wake Up Boo, which airs live on SubstrateRadio.com every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time. You can listen to these shows and the Earth Hotel slot Wednesdays 8 to 10 p.m. on the website or via the TuneIn app, and each show on the schedule is also available at mixcloud.com slash substrateradio slash stream. Craig plays some hip-ass music on Wake Up Boo. That is a balm any time of the day you may be waking up. He is part of a project, Wax Flight, who just released a single from their upcoming album, Flowers. Here is Fall Into Life. Thanks, Craig.
This fateful episode called for a bit of collaboration, and around the time I outlined it, I happened upon a fellow from Asheville that's been doing some interesting work with mushrooms and synthesizers. And not in the normal way you might do that. His YouTube channel is Myko Lyko. Go send him some love. He describes his process thus. Basically, it's using a technology similar to a lie detector. It runs a small amount of current through the subject and is able to sense the resistance or impedance. Changes in resistance are converted to musically useful control signals. With the use of a modular synthesizer, I can route these signals to control when the note plays, how long it is, the pitch, its timbre, and some parameter of effects as well. This piece you're about to hear is my collaboration with four lovely cordyceps mushrooms, arbitrated by the hand of Michael Lyko. A long-distance time-cooperative sound conversation, you can find a link to his Bandcamp page and the YouTube source for the mushroom music in the description below. He's got a full album of really interesting, fungi-driven material. Enjoy.
Oh, God, what a home stretch. Okay, have you been itching to do an Antifa of your own? You can do it. It's just an email away. Folks out there may be familiar with the Proud Boys, which, let's, let's face it, my life is not secure right now to try to put up with any death threats or other malfeasance, which certainly will come if you criticize the Proud Boys. So I'm going to leave the detail up to a much more accredited and qualified speaker on this subject, the YouTuber Thought Slime. He's a Canadian anarchist, somebody that does a hell of a lot of great informative content and analysis. He has a much better description and analysis of what the Proud Boys are and how they all connect with each other and how they are provably white supremacist, anti-Jewish, of course they've proven that in the news for them themselves, Western chauvinist, radical right, alt-right, Western imperialist, identitarian, they affiliate a lot with Nazis, all right? That's all you need to know for the purposes here. Go Google news stories, Proud Boys, and see what you find and do some digging on your own. And the links to Thought Slime's video, Know Your Fascists, The Proud Boys, down in the description. Because honestly, he's much better at taking on this kind of content than I am. And he said all the things that need to be said. And honestly, I just don't have the heart for it tonight. I've spent all my bile and vitriol talking about Mayor Woodfin. But if you're just dying to do an Antifa action of your own, you can do that. The Alabama Proud Boys website domain information has been leaked online. At great personal risk to myself, that domain name is alabamaproudboys.us, just a charming website you can go visit. It was created in 2020, October 17th, under Two Cows Domains Incorporated. That's T-U-C-O-W-S, Domains Incorporated. Their abuse contact email is domainabuse at twocows.com. Shoot them an email, why don't you? Let them know that they're hosting a hate site. And be sure to include some of the news stories that you find about the Proud Boys when you inevitably Google them. You know, the violence against protesters, the violence against civilians, the doxing and stalking of people, even related to people that, say, on YouTube, comment on them and make fun of them. Yeah, they'll track down your family and show up at your door and say, hey, we don't like that. You know, good stuff like that. Uh, yeah, the Proud Boys in Alabama recently threatened uh, voting officials. That was good. They're doing that a lot of places. So let Two Cows Domains Incorporated know who they're hosting on their website and that it might be good for democracy and their terms of service to pull that website down. If you're not aware, this is what Antifa is. It's not an organization. It's not a militant group. It's a bunch of people online making sure that white supremacists and other ne'er-do-wells can't spread their message quite as efficiently. You know how activists at UAB in Birmingham contacted whatever place was hosting Richard Spencer, you know, the alt-right Richard Spencer that's on video doing the Sikh Hile and talking about a white ethnostate and how hopefully transgenders won't be allowed in it, God forbid. The one that got punched, you know, you can go see him get punched wearing a Pepe pen and talking about how Pepe is just a meme, bro. Hilarious. That Richard Spencer was deplatformed at UAB by a bunch of anti-fascists. And because he kept getting punched in public and because Antifa kept shutting down his rallies and because Antifa protesters continually made his life difficult, he quit doing those appearances and quit spreading his message publicly to people that were either white supremacists or could become white supremacists. He was unable to radicalize people as efficiently because people shut him down and deplatformed him because they quit fucking debating him on YouTube. And he went the fuck away. And because of the justice-seeking sensibilities of establishment liberals, Charles Barkley and 
I can't remember the name of the other person that was on him. Two African-American men of some repute in the public eye. Celebrities sought an audience with Richard Spencer and put it on their YouTube channel and talked for maybe an hour, had him spew his circular, nonsensical, white supremacist, etc., etc., XYZ arguments, not to them, but to the people watching them, and went on afterwards to his own media outlet and said, these dumb liberals, they don't even have any answers for me, when in reality their response was what many people would respond to if they're not acknowledging that they're in a discourse and that where there's an information game going on that up to that point, the alt-right had done a goddamn good job of winning. By the way, the name alt-right was created by one Paul Gottlieb, who is absolutely a white supremacist, who writes in white supremacist literature, who espouses the benefits of white nationalism, shit like that. Yeah, he's the one that called them alt-right because you can't call them far-right. Every time you call a white supremacist alt-right, you're playing directly into their hands. That's uh, pig logic, so to speak. So these guys incredulously looked at each other and said, I and I can't believe this guy thinks this way. And then their faces were used to say, these dumb liberals don't have an answer for us. That's somewhat of a tangent, but that's the argument for deplatforming. So take part today. That's domain abuse at twocows.com. The site is alabamaproudboys.us. Have some fun. Be careful. As people on the far right are fond of saying, hide your power level. Don't give them a name and a family and a job and all these things to attach to you when you go staring into the abyss at monsters. And finally, along the same lines of staring into the abyss at monsters, some of you in Alabama may know one James Spann. He's a shiny-headed, dapper-dressed, suspenders-wearing fella that does the weather. He's the subject of a popular meme when James Spann takes off his jacket. When you see this on your TV, you know shit's going to get real with the tornadoes. He's also a climate change denier, which doesn't mean that that's what he actually believes. It means that he's in a position of power and he gets paid off to espouse that narrative by, gee, I don't know, power companies, oil companies, shit like that, Gorge. Not like they have inordinate power in the state. Yeah, for all of his own problems, I just want to shine a little light on the glass house that he's living in. His wife, Katie O'Mary Spann, surfaced on Facebook the other day, did the rounds on the social media, and this is where it gets personal. Quote, Ladies, regarding my post of Biden's plan to allow so-called transgenders into public restrooms, I was serious about carrying mace. I ordered mine on Amazon yesterday, and I thought I would share the link with everybody. This one fits on your keyring, and I chose the pink so that it can easily be seen in the bottomless pit of my purse, which often looks like a landfill laughing and crying emoji. Lol. I do apologize for this rather negative post on a Saturday morning, but the truth is, Biden and his administration will never care about the safety of regular citizens and will do nothing to protect us. Sadly, we must do that for ourselves. Yeah, this bitch actually said this. So, Katie, can I call you Katie? Great. Um, God forbid I ever go into another goddamn restroom in Birmingham before this pandemic has wiped out most of you people that don't have any sense to protect yourselves and the general public and other human beings from this virus that is killing a bunch of people. If I happen to run into you in a female restroom, I know your face now. 
because you were dumb enough to parrot your hateful, shitty views on social media. So if I see you digging around in your landfill purse and looking at me with your scared waspy eyes, I'm going to invoke Alabama Criminal Code 13A-3-23. Quote, A person is justified in using physical force upon another person in order to defend himself or herself, or a third person from what he or she reasonably believes to be the use or imminent use of unlawful physical force by that other person. I think macing someone for being a transgender constitutes a hate crime and falls under unlawful physical force. And he or she may use a degree of force which he or she reasonably believes to be necessary for the purpose. A person may use deadly physical force and is legally presumed to be justified in using deadly physical force in self-defense or defense of another person pursuant to subdivision 5 if the person reasonably believes that another person is, item 3, committing or about to commit assault in the first or second degree which that absolutely qualifies as being. A person who is justified under subsection A in using physical force, including deadly physical force, and who is not engaged in an unlawful activity and is in any place where he or she has the right to be, including a women's restroom, because I'm not walking my female presenting ass into a men's restroom in any public place in Birmingham. I only do that when I'm forced into boy mode by my job, delivering medical supplies around the state, and if I dressed and presented the way I dress and present in my normal everyday life, as a totally normal heterosexual woman, hey, how are you, then I would probably be raped, brutalized, or killed by some motherfucker in Boonies, Alabama, wherever it may be, that I drive to on my job. So I'm stuck in boy mode, and that's when I visit male restrooms, because, yeah, presenting male, it would be inappropriate for me to go into a women's restroom. However, when I'm out on my personal time, going to restaurants, well, not anymore, going to coffee shops, well, not anymore, going to nightclubs, why the fuck are you still going out? You know there's a pandemic on, right, Gorge? Then I'm presenting female... I'm no threat to anybody else, and I'm walking in the goddamn women's restroom. So if I see a Katie, I'm in a place where I have a right to be. I have no duty to retreat, and I have the right to stand her ground. <laughs> you fucking fossil. Mace me, bitch. I hope you do it. <sighs> I know we kind of screeched to a halt on that. Thanks for joining us this evening. This is definitely different than the normal kind of show I do, but I kind of liked it. I think I have... An awful good penchant for ranting magnanimously and righteously into a microphone by myself. Our last installment of the evening comes to us from New Orleans by way of the Nick in Birmingham, where I once played a show with the duo called Renshaw Davies. To slow us down and put us into a wintry mood, here is the title track from their 2017 album, The Heat. May ye faithful stick around for a short surprise yet to come. And the rest of ye, have a quiet night before the dawn. Vive la liberté. Au revoir. Where would I take you For a ride and forsake you And It's the heat that makes me crazy.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. 